my name is Mike Pennington. My friends call me PK. Uh, I am a landscape laborer at Paper King Enterprises, and I am a hardscaper. All right, Mike, let's get started to give our audience a little bit of some context about yourself, how you got started in the industry. Can you tell us a little bit more about your story? Uh, sure, absolutely. So I got started in the industry a long time ago, late 80s. Um, and in high school, one of my close friends, uncle and grandfather owned a garden center and it paid $3.85 an hour to work at Subway and it paid $5 an hour to shovel dirt into bags. So, uh, you know, I guess I'm greedy. I went with the bag shoveling job and I started shoveling dirt into bags at the garden center. Um, the thing I liked about it immediately was I always, I guess I always struggled at school. Uh, my personality doesn't lend itself to school very well. I don't learn well in that environment, in the environment of working and I guess in a landscaping form, it was you were judged by what you could produce and and how hard you worked, and those are things that I'm good at. Um, you know, you can't. No one can change your work ethic, so I think that those are things I was good at. I, I liked it right away, and I liked being outside. Um, so that was sort of my first taste of being in landscaping. That garden center, those two, the two owners of the garden center also owned a commercial landscape contractor which in you know even then was having labor problems so oftentimes a uh, truck would show up we would jump in and we would go to go to job sites and start working and i like that right away too because again you were you know people didn't care much about who you were or, um, they weren't judging you because you were struggling spelling something they wanted you to just be able to work and um, work hard and so that's how i got started i started working uh, up on the landscape crew, I pretty quickly was running my own crew. I think I was like 16 or 17. Maybe I had my own crew going out and we, that's my background really is more commercial contracting. I did that for, uh, till at least 1999 for that company. So probably 10 years. Um, I was a foreman there. We did large scale commercial jobs, uh, you know, anywhere from, 200000 to $650,000, took them from start to finish. In 1999, the estimator left. I went with him to, uh, every, a lot of people would know me from the bridge contract, and I went with him to there. Uh, after a season of that, I started a you know weekend gig like everyone does. And obviously, with a weekend gig, you can't do commercial. <laughs> you know, it's a different kind of, so we started doing residential uh, contracting and we started off doing, our, our company was solely based around lifting and relaying pavers because uh, we had no money, no tools, we had nothing. And, you know, when you start out with nothing, um, lifting relays, I know no one likes it, but for us, it was literally the backbone of what we did. We could do them on the weekend. We didn't have a lot of mass excavation to get rid of. We had almost nothing invested. You know, this is a long time ago. Back then we had like, you know, three yards of natural screenings. All the product was already on the ground. And it was a good way to start a business when all you had was a flat mouth shovel uh, because we just didn't have a lot of investment. If someone had decided that maybe our work wasn't up to par, they didn't want to pay us for whatever reason. Um, you know, our investment was just uh, Kazanai's time and um and some and some screenings at the time, natural screenings, which seems weird to say now, but uh, and so we started off doing that. We worked every weekend. We bought tools. Uh, all we did was buy tools. 
Um, you know, I remember getting our first beat up dump trailer. We thought we were like total heroes. Um, and then eventually we just, you know, you get to a point where you're in the infrastructure you've built to work on the weekends is so big that you, you have to make a decision with your life. You know, is this something we're doing? Is this something we're not doing? How is this going to go? Uh, and we made the decision to, to leave and go on our own. Uh, we were on our own for quite a while, a few years. And then, um, you know, we were, me, this has nothing to do with cat, but me, I was uh, very good at business and not very good at life, which um, led to the downfall of uh, my first uh, relationship. Um, so cats took over the business. I was a mess. I went back to, um, I ended up, you know, literally taking my life down to zero and decided that, you know, if I went back to being just a laborer and just literally working on the ground that I could start at zero and work my way back up. So I went back to our old boss who um, gave me a job as a laborer. Within a year, he, he'd, known me, he'd known me since, you know, the late 80s. So he'd moved me up the chain. We started a residential division. Um, we focused on quality. We had great people working with us. Um, and then I did that till we worked at, I worked at Lakeridge for quite a while. Um, that's where a lot of people would know us from. It's where we sort of started our social media gig. Uh, and then I left there in 2017. I was the permacon rep for 18 months. That absolutely did not suit me. Uh, and then after that, um, you know, I decided that I decided my wife and I decided that uh, it was a good thing. I'd take another shot. I felt like, you know, Kaz and I had some unfinished chapters from the past. Um, Brian, from uh, who was the technical rep at the time and had uh, was moving on, was starting his own business. The three of us kind of got together and we said, you know, we're going to do like a, a collective thing. And so, uh, you know, Paper King was kind of launched and we, that's where we are now. So it's kind of a long jumbled story of 30 years, but, uh, you know, that's sort of where I am now. I'm, we're, we're proudly running, my wife and I are proudly running Paver King Enterprises. We have, uh, you know, two subcontractors with Kaz and Brian that work with us all the time. We have three employees and uh, I think that things grew a bit faster than my hope had been just to, you know, just to work along with Kaz, two old people doing enough work to survive. But uh, I think we've, you know, we've kind of grown a bit, a bit faster than we thought. But when opportunity knocks, if you don't walk through the door, you're, uh, you know, it might never open again. So. That's sort of my story. Um, there's a lot of other things that I could talk about, but you know, I don't think we want to talk about my history with landscaping for uh, for 40 minutes. So, well, that's uh, quite an incredible story, and in, in how long you've been in the industry and everything that you've seen. Uh, there are a couple questions that I have coming out of that, and that is, sure. Um, sure. you know, uh, first off, you've been in the industry for a long time. What are what are some things that you've seen change that have really blown your mind in terms of uh, you know, products, tools, equipment, the way in uh, an actual landscaping business is operated. What's like a, a thing that's really changed since you first came into the industry? Uh, I think the biggest thing that's changed is the level of safety. Uh, you know, for me, I, I, when I started, like literally we used to like l quite literally climb into the bucket of a, a you know, a, a three yard bucket of a, a payloader and ride to the job site in the bucket there was trucks where literally people's lunch boxes were falling through the floor onto the highway. If you weren't paying attention, um, I rode to many jobs in the back of a tandem dump truck. Um, I think that 
we we did i did jobs on the side of the 401 planting trees like we had a job planting trees and we didn't even have a pylon for a vest we just pulled over on the shoulder and we would just start working on the side of the road i can remember graphically on a sunday morning dumping 100 yards of mulch into the slow lane of the highway um, without a pylon like when you look at the level of safety that there is now in the industry it's it's that is to me is the absolute biggest difference um and the, the people's the, the the people coming into the industry or the people working in the industry the expectation um the people watching out for each other you know i just i think that that's the biggest change even with the dust and the masks i mean no one told me that I, maybe no one knew maybe someone knew and no one, but no one told me that you know i i suffer from having breathed in copious amounts of dust over my life because I didn't know that it would kill me. Like, I, I mean, I guess it, I never really thought about it, but um, now people, you know, even if someone posts a video online cutting with a mask, there's like, you know, 30 comments, get a mask, get a mask. And I, I just think that the level of safety, the level of people caring about that item is definitely the largest change for me. Absolutely. And, and I think it's great. I'm a huge promoter of safety. Um, when I was the general manager at, um, you know, I was at, uh, you know, one of, one of my previous companies, I, I wouldn't give, if people weren't following the safety protocols, I'd just say to them, I don't care how much you show up and I don't care how much you produce, but if you're not, if I show up on a site and you're not wearing a mask, you're never getting a raise. I take it that's it. Like, I just, I don't, I don't ever want someone to get hurt. All of our people know that everyone that works for us knows that um, safety is our number one concern. And we have a mobile mechanic that comes into our yard every four weeks changes the oil on our triaxle dump truck and inspects it front to back mechanically um he knows that you know christy that drives that truck i could care less if the truck blew up or something happened as long as the you know she's safe number one and the public is safe number two those are my concerns i just i think that if you put safety first and of the people first then your company will grow and be successful and you'll have good staff you have to all of our people get masks we buy all their we buy them all boots. We buy all their. We buy them the uh, pants that are ha that have the the holy bottoms, so that they're uh, the safety pants with the. I can't. They're called Cool Works. I don't. You know. I, we 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 safety for us is a you know really honest. We have uh, in our trailer. We ha it's fully. I should do a video on it. Maybe I guess a full safety package in our trailer. I I just think that if, when you do all that stuff. Um, your people know that you care about them. And sometimes they think it's pain in the ass, but you know, it doesn't matter. They know that we care about them and we want them to get home to their families. And that's more important than our profit margin. And I think that that's something that, you know, everyone, maybe I should take that up as a cause. I, our trailer is very specifically set up for safety. Uh, you know, like whenever we're on a site, there's there's a sheet of paper put up in the trailer that has the address of where we're working because if, if, if something happened, I mean, I always know the address of where we're working, but Jay, who works on our crew, doesn't necessarily know it. He got driven there in a truck and he gets out and he starts working all day. And then all of a sudden I collapse. He doesn't, even if he called 911, he doesn't know where he is. He's running. So they just go to the trailer. They know that the address is there and they can call. And something that small can save save someone. So to me, that's uh, that's the number one change, safety. Absolutely. That's really interesting. And uh, it's great to get that perspective. And uh, yeah, trailer walkthrough would be really interesting in, in terms of safety getting into the way you started your business, it's exactly the way I started my business. And I started 
with in i th- i think uh, the reason why i bring this up is i think somebody can take away something from this because you don't need to start up and have a you know $100,000 investment into everything you need you can start up and you know dip your toe in and work on the weekends to kind of build up your business get those lift and relay jobs because they don't require a lot I, I remember getting my first down payment and I had zero tools and I just used that down payment right away to buy some tools to get that job done to then, you know, be able to get paid for that job and pay off the materials and then jump to the next job. And it was just rinse, rinse and repeat. Um, yep. clean, cleaning and sealing jobs are a little investment and in, in a great way to get started in the industry. There's just many ways to get started in this industry. Is this something that you would recommend somebody wanting to get into this industry? Uh, for me, I think that I, ha- I always have, a, <laughs> I mean, I have a lot, of, a lot, I know a lot of people locally and we always, you know, every spring you see a bunch of brand new pickup trucks with a bunch of brand new, you know, dump trailers pulling into the local suppliers. And, uh, and I always laugh because I'm like, well, I'm going to buy your trailer off you and Kijiji in August, buddy. Uh, <laughs> you know, because I'm like, you know, like, you just put yourself into, you know, a couple thousand dollars a month in overhead. Um, in a business that literally didn't exist three weeks ago uh, because it's fun. I think one of the things that happens to people is it's fun to buy trucks. Um, it's fun to buy trailers. And, and I mean, hey, I'm not saying that I've never made those kind of mistakes before, but uh, I think that it's a great industry to get into. I think that it ha- it can have a low cost of entry, but you have to make the decision that you're not going to do the glory jobs. Um, you know, there is a lot especially if you were online and you were looking at the industry there is a lot of love for the huge projects the massive pools and, and i got i mean i've done those projects in my life um i don't necessarily take them on now but uh, uh but i have done you know projects that were two hundred fifty thousand dollars residentially i mean I've, commercial is a different thing but residentially um i think that if you want to have a low barrier of entry then what you need to do is is make a decision to say i'm I'm going to find pro- projects like lifting. Re- I started off, honestly, I wouldn't even do it now, but we literally put up a piece of paper with our phone number that you could tear off the bottom that said uh, interlock repairs. And it had, you know, like a goofy picture. And we put it up at the local supermarket on the, the cork board and literally started the business that way. Um, and I, I, I would say that if someone wants to work hard uh, and do some work that other people don't, I, I mean, one of the things that we live by here, and I still live by it, is hard things make money because hard things are things that people don't want to do. So lifting and relaying pavers and cleaning them and uh, rebuilding other people's jobs, that's hard work. There's no all the excavation and the machine work and all this stuff that people charge for to get to the point where the hard work starts. It's all done. So I mean, hard things make money. And if you want to make money in this industry and you want to start with a low cost of entry, then I think that repairing jobs is definitely a way to go for me. I would say to anyone. Yeah, and I think uh, that came from me, uh, a little bit of perspective because my background, I worked for a dealer. So I saw at the beginning of every season, these guys that you talked about who just bought that new truck, new trailer, and we'd never seen before just come in and, you know, they were gone in in a couple months. So the, that that I knew that uh, I, I didn't want to be that person coming into the industry. And uh, 
moving on with your story, you worked for uh, Permacon for a bit as a sales rep. What what was it about that that didn't work out for anybody that might be, you know, in this industry and thinking that that might be the route that they're going? What what was it about that route that didn't work out for you? First of all, I there was a lot of stuff with that job that I struggled with. Um, the people up were amazing. They were all incredibly kind to me over 18 months and they were very tolerant. Um, but there's a lot of like spreadsheeting and forecasting and, uh, you know, meetings where they're just, they're flying through numbers on a big screen. And, um, you know, I, I struggled with keeping up with that end of it. I was working all day doing, um, you know, trying to get to sites, trying to meet people. And then I was also, you know, it just, there was a lot of math and a lot of computer stuff and a lot of programs and um it's just not my it's it wasn't me i you know i was at a point in my life when i took that job that i had uh incurred some difficulties and uh you know not to get into bad things but some broken promises where i was working and um i just i needed to get out and i thought it was an opportunity to maybe my life i think from the first two weeks i knew that I had maybe made a mistake, but I, you know, if you're going to try to change your life, you have to do something. I feel like for 12 months, because if you don't do an entire cycle of any pro of any job, a full 12 month cycle and see what it's like, how are you, you can't say it wasn't for me. So I did it for 12. I did it for the full 12 months at the end of the 12 months, Kelly and I had a really long conversation and we just, I decided to start thinking about, but it just, it was, it, they're great people. It's a great company. It just wasn't for me personally. I also, I tend to be someone who, I know I had Jay from Trillium on here, and I, I tend to be someone who struggles. Um, you can almost watch my account and you can tell where my my brain is at. I struggle a lot with up, up very high and very low, and um, that job, I, I got stuck in a lot of low for a long time. It's a really hard job. The people who've done it for a long time, I have nothing but incredible respect for whoever they work for. You spend most of your day fielding other people's problems and complaints, dealers, contractors, your own company. It's um, you're really in the middle of, of everyone. It's a tough, really tough job. Anyone who's done it. It just, for me, I ended up in a long, a lot of long lows and that's not good for me. Kelly pays close attention to where I'm at all the time. And it just, it wasn't, it just wasn't for me. It was, I, I also, for some reason, my self-perception of myself is that I'm a very lazy person and I derive a lot of my own self-worth from um, working and working hard uh, for whatever reason. Um, and so I just, I feel like that's a lot of hard work, but it's not the hard work where I derive my own self-worth. So, you know, I feel better about shoveling all day than I do about being in a big boardroom meeting on a personal level and that's not to judge what anyone does it's just my own how I feel about myself if I if I shovel for a whole day or I lay pavers for a whole day or you know I can look back and I see 15 empty skids and I know we pounded 15 skids of pavers down uh, you know it just it makes me feel really it makes me feel really good about myself and really good about our team and our people and that we're building something and I, I just think that you know you have to do something that really boosts your own self-confidence and makes you feel good and it, that just wasn't the job for me doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it it just you know and some other contractors and other people who um are looking at maybe an opportunity like that i think that it might be for them a lot of those reps come from the other side so you know it just 
for me, I just, I'd rather, I, I kind of felt like I need to go out the way I came in, you know, it, and it wasn't for me. But that's, that's sort of what happened there. It was nothing with them. And I don't think it was any, and they were very kind to me when I, I left. They, I have nothing but good things to say about all the people and all the team there. They were kind to me the whole time I was there. They tolerated my inability to <laughs> perform basic computer actions. I think for them, it was probably a risky hire because, uh, you know, I didn't have, and they took a chance on me. So I'll always appreciate that opportunity. It also turned my life um, and I think my family's life in a different direction. And it, you know, it turned, it really created, that job really, I think that um, in 2008, when my life sort of exploded and blew up, I kind of got shattered into a thousand pieces. And I spent 10 years searching for all those pieces and putting them back in places where they mattered. And I feel like that last, that 18 months at Permacon is where I sort of, I, I finally was comfortable enough with myself to put the, all the pieces back together and sort of become maybe the person that I was previous to um, the explosion or more implosion of my entire existence. Um, I think that that was, uh, it was just, it was a good place to put those final pieces back together. I'll always appreciate my time, but it just wasn't the right fit for me. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I phrased the question as to, uh, you know, what was wrong with that Permacon job, but really it, it wasn't, you know, Permacon, it was the sales job, the role just wasn't suited for you. Uh, and I completely understand that. Now, uh, Mike, we're going to get into, obviously we uh, posted on Instagram these uh, asking for questions about you, uh, Paver King, and we're going to get into these questions. Absolutely. Bring it on. I'm pumped. Awesome. Awesome. So paver underscore King on Instagram. Uh, we asked for these questions. We got them. We got lots to get through here. Uh, obviously I've got tons more questions for you, but we got to get to these audience questions and we're going to get into probably, uh, we're going to start serious right away, right off the bat here with a question from premium mix marketing, our guys at premium mix marketing. And right away, this serious question, paver King, if you had to choose two animals to fuse together and ride into battle, who do you have? Uh, two animals to fuse together and ride into battle. I am uh, definitely going to go with a honey badger and a lemur because I feel like the honey badger is obviously indestructible. If you've ever watched a honey badger uh, go nuts on YouTube. And I think that a lemur just has a lot of appeal to me. I think that they're, you know, they have a, a great community collective. So, and they live in a great community. Then you have the kind of loner honey badger with the big claws. So straight up, you know, a lemur honey badger mix, absolutely right off the top of my head there is what, how I would go into battle if I had to uh, take two animals in a combination. Definitely not the two animals I was expecting, but uh, awesome, awesome answer to that question for sure. My, my brain, my brain works in different ways, brother. <laughs> Evidently, and uh, another question coming in from Corbin underscore Pondside. I want to make my company's main service pavers and retaining walls. How can I do this? So we kind of talked a little bit about how you did this, but uh, it, obviously I think uh, Corbin Pond has an existing business in the pond side of things. How, how can he kind of shift his company towards servicing pavers and retaining walls? I think that if you already have an existing business as a pond company, which there's sort of that name leads to, uh, I think that the thing I would do is, 
uh, find a designer that's known for um, designing paver patios and outdoor living spaces that include pavers and, and walls. Uh, if you want to change your business, uh, you know, one of the things that happened to us, um, sort of a different answer, but one of the things that happened to us when I was uh, running uh, the residential um, at uh, Lake Ridge Contracting was that uh, I, I struggle with closing jobs over $40,000. It could be my appearance, my beard, the fact that I'm always covered in dirt. I don't know what the struggle was. So I went out and I brought in uh, Nancy Green, who everyone knows works with me all the time. I think that if you are a pond company and you want and you're good at designing ponds and that's what you've designed all the time, find a designer who can start to incorporate those other elements into your projects. Um, and you have to start to get People view you in a different way, which also, you know, obviously if your company is pre-existing, maybe you have a client list that you email, um, you know, not so much at this company because my company has different sort of revenue streams now, but at, at past companies, I would keep a client list. And if we were offering a new service, I would throw out an email. Uh, and then the other thing I would say to you is when you do your first few jobs, focus extremely on the quality. Um, you know, if you want to build a, a business with new with a new services that, that you're not you haven't necessarily provided in the past make sure when you provide those services they are absolutely top-notch because if you want to get recommended um, then that's how you do it taking on a patio and then doing you know you know squeezing in saying you know you bid it for three days you're into the fourth day it's one of the patios well I would say to you like just keep your quality high no matter how tempting it is to cut a corner to get finished a bit faster when you start a new service. There's always going to be uh, a struggle with the first few jobs. So that's, I mean, get a designer that's designing and make sure your first few projects are absolutely, absolutely top notch. Even if it costs you a bit off your um, margin and you gotta be, make sure you're doing high quality work. Excellent answer. And getting into that a little bit further here, uh, we also have a question from Brown Dog Art and Design. And they asked specifically, what is the handoff like from your design team to your construction teamwork? So you talked about Nancy Green there. Can you get a little bit more in depth about um, maybe how you networked with, with Nancy, how that all came together? And what is it like when you land a job? Do you hand that over to Nancy to design? Does she get these jobs to design and hand them over to you? And then where does it kind of go? Where does that communication with her go from there? Uh, so Nancy obviously has leads come in. Uh, Nancy works with uh, about four or five of us contractors. And then when she has leads come in, she picks the contractor that's best suited to um, the project that she has in terms of, a lot of times it's in terms of location. Uh, you know, Eddie from Green Scene GTA, she works with him out in the West, the West. Um, you know, we don't, I don't want to do jobs uh, in Toronto and drive three hours. So, um, you know, she also, so if a lead comes to her, Nancy decides out of the three or four contractors she works with all the time where she's going to take it. If a lead comes through our um, website, the first thing that happens is it will come to my email. I'll forward it to Kelly in the office because I'm I'm I, you know a busy person and I tend to forget about those things. So recognizing that's a weakness for me, I forward it to Kelly. Kelly will make first contact with that client if it's a if it's a smaller project that's that you know we think that won't necessarily need a design um, because we still I mean we're a business that's only been around for uh, you know. I, I guess 18 months. I, I mean, I mean, I've been in the industry a long time, but Paper King Enterprises is a relatively young uh, business. So Kelly will go and look at a lot of smaller stuff that we'll do. 
if we feel like it's a, a, a project where we've you know asked the right questions and we they feel like it's a big patio or a big then nancy oftentimes now uh, as kelly's taking a more active role kelly and nancy will go meet the clients um, nancy has a lot of experience working with me so she'll we'll determine if they need a design we'll determine if they uh, how we're going to move forward with it and then normally uh, if it's a big design project we'll schedule a second consultation with the client um, and then i'll go if there's a lot of grade stuff uh, nancy's good with grades she has a zip level but sometimes if there's a lot of complicated entry or i'll go i'll have a look at it with her uh, we'll produce a drawing i'll put a quote together and then um, if it's a almost any job we we almost always go and present the drawing and the quote i mean this year with COVID, it's been a bit different but nancy and i always we call it sitting in the kitchen and we'll go down and we'll present our drawing we'll present our quote and uh we'll do our sales pitch i guess is the best way to describe it and that's how we sort of close out jobs once we have the job uh it goes on our board in the office uh we i tried it one of the things i've learned is try to keep a loosely based schedule <laughs> you know don't make promises to people about exact days you're going to show up um and then we we get we nancy will meet uh, the clients at one of our local supply yards, they'll pick out all their materials. It's part of our service to uh, meet at the supply yard so that they can get a full grasp of the materials. We like people to touch and feel stuff. I hate the thought of, uh, you know, tw 20 bundles of paper showing up, someone coming up and going, this isn't how it looked like in the book. Uh, and then we, Kelly calls for locates. Once we're about a week out from the job, week and a half, we get our locates. We schedule our delivery we sort of move forward with the job on day one if i'm running the job i'm there on day one you know we just finished a job where kaz and brian run it because we had to split our crew uh, we had a saturday meeting we all went over what we were doing on that job we formulated a plan that worked best for the equipment that was going to be on site and then they move forward on the monday so uh, that's sort of our current system it'll always i think always be being tweaked because uh, our company has grown and diversified in ways that we didn't expect, but that's how we sort of do it now. Um, if you, to me, if you want to, if you want to generate the most possible, then you should have a designer on staff, someone that brings a different perspective because you're not going to, your perspective isn't going to match up with every client. That's my take on it. Keeping that trend of uh, meeting with a customer and talking with them about certain products, uh, we've got a question from oneanddone.contracting that asks, what is your favorite stone to use, manufacturer, and why? I will always have uh, a very big place in my heart for uh, Tech Walk. Um, you know, we don't always use Tech Walk, uh, but we do use them a lot. I think that you know one of the they do a lot for the industry um i one time i was you know it was when i my life had kind of imploded uh we ended up at a, a tackle box showcase and i saw pete and um after it i emailed him and i was like hey i've been in this industry a long time i've never seen anything like this where someone was like so overtly proud of what they were doing um and i think so i'll just and i i, I like bob that runs the tech block account we have a good time we joke around i just think they'll always be have a special place in my heart uh, they'll always be the ones that they'll always be our sort of go-to it's they we've been in their catalog um we are the one fire pit's been in their catalog for like six years um that's sort of our our number one go-to 
as always tackle block and then um, we also have a great relationship with not that this is sort of expanding on this question but we also have a great relationship with best way stone i think they're a great local company um, i really like everyone that works there so they're sort of our two our two go-to's i guess this year have been I mean, we use products from everyone. That's not to say that anyone else is manufacturing things in aren't, but those are definitely the two that we sort of uh, currently um, go to. Do you have a, a like a go-to stone? If you're meeting a customer specifically, do you have a go-to stone for kind of starting them off the discussion about choosing a, a product? Anything that lays in a pattern that isn't random. <laughs> I hate random pattern. It's so slow. I'm just like I want. Um, I push people towards like linear designs that are running bond or herringbone or like uh, you know. I think that really the go-to stones right now for anyone is sort of that three size stone with the you know thirteen and a half by and they, everyone manufactures one. You know they they all manufacture one. I think that the thirteen and a half by. 13 and a half square, the 13 and a half by six and the whatever, you know, the, they, they all make that stone. Um, you know, you can easily list them off blue, Trevista, um, Melville or modern, like, you, you know, Kid Hill, they're all, that's the go to me. That's sort of the go-to. And then if someone, um, it says like, you know, I don't want that stone. I'm like, wow, awesome. Because I've done so much of that. Let's look a different way. Um, but they're all there. It's a great product. It, it creates that, larger stone that people want um so i think that that's sort of it's i think it's kind of everyone's go-to i wish that my go-to was you know four by eights and a herringbone because i can lay that a lot faster <laughs> it's a lot less possible but you know it's just it's just not the way the industry is right now so um but that's i think that's our go-to too is we usually end up with some kind of um three size random large scale uh slab depending on the application We've got a question coming in from Aaron's underscore outdoor underscore spaces asking you about decks. Paper King, <laughs> we uh, understand your hatred towards decks. So what is the best way to make a deck suffer? He says, after building a Chippendale railing, I think a Sawzall might be too nice. Uh, so, I mean, obviously our preferred method of deck destruction is a Sawzall because, you know, we want that deck to suffer. We want it to understand the pain that it's caused over the last few years of, of rotting and having people falling off the edge and having to contain your party. Um, but, uh, you know, I, we also sometimes, you know, and Brian, there's a video of him, you know, Brian will get out the axe. He is an old school axe man. And, uh, you know, if you really want a deck to suffer then don't ever hesitate to stock your tool trailer with a good sharp axe that would be absolutely my advice is uh, keep the axe handy if you think the deck has been particularly brutal on the clients uh, get the axe out it might take a bit more time but the amount of satisfaction you get from it will definitely be, be worth it in my in my uh, in, in my experience Excellent advice. And Paper King, what is it about decks that you absolutely despise, that you hate? Uh, I, yeah, I think that's one of those things that just kind of grew on mine and got a little bit out of hand, maybe. But uh, <laughs> I, you know, I just I, I don't I don't like decks because decks don't pay my mortgage, and that's what it comes down to. I don't build them. I've never built them. I don't understand all the all the little intricacies of them. So I, you know, I just I, I know that decks definitely have taken money from my business and from my family. So um, 
you know, I just, I, that's why I don't like them. I've never, it, and no deck has ever helped me pay my mortgage uh, or helped me make payroll. So until a deck steps up to the plate and helps me with that, I got no use for them. Excellent. So getting to uh, Richard from RCO Doors question here. Uh, he's got he's got a question and a statement here, so I'm going to go through it all. Uh, why do you have such a dirty mouth? And do you think it affects customers buying decisions when they are that when they hear that on Instagram? Or do you not get leads from Instagram? Either way, I love what you're putting out. And I wake up every day wondering what the paver king said on Instagram. <laughs> I have gone to people's houses and done like a, I know, a sales presentation. And then they're like, oh, your company's named after an Instagram account. I'm going to look it up. And immediately in my brain, I'm like, oh God, what the hell have I posted? What was the last thing we did? You know, I just, in my mind, you know, I would say every fifth picture might be some job we did. <laughs> so I'm like, oh crap. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, so when I started the account, I worked for a contractor and, uh, you know, I was representing him because I was the general manager of that company. I was, although I, you know, was very involved in the entire operation of it. I was not an owner. Uh, so I was very careful about what I posted online. And then, um, you know, I started working at Permacon. And although I was watching a video from when I worked there, and it was me throwing a Tim Hortons cup full of gas into a bunch of burning skids in an excavator bucket. And so I thought, wow, I can't believe I didn't get fired when I did that, but whatever. Uh, you know, I, um, when I started, when we started on our own, when, um, when Paper King Enterprises, when we registered the business and Kelly and I started on our own, we, uh, I was just like, you know what, man, it's, it's just, not, it's a lot of the stuff that's happening out there. It's not how I talk. It's not how I necessarily am in life. And I'd rather be real about it. And um, I'm sure to be perfectly honest, if, uh, someone looked us up on Instagram and didn't hire us because I was swearing. Um, then I don't, I wouldn't want to work for that person anyways, because if their expectation is that, you know, our crew is going to show up and there might not be a couple F bombs or someone might not say though. I don't even know if you, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever said this on your podcast, but if someone, you know, someone says the word fun a job site, um, you know, I just, I don't, if someone has that expectation of us, I think that that job might go sideways. So uh, you know, I try to be myself now and I try to be real. And if it costs me a client, it costs me a client. Um, you know, I think that we generate enough leads that I look for people who really like us to work for. Um, you know, I don't, I have been in a position in a really long time where I had to work for someone that we didn't like or didn't like us. So uh, I, I agree with Richard that it probably has cost me here and there. Um, and maybe it's a little bit different, but I think that uh, it's who I am and it's just the way we are. It's the way we operate. It's uh, I also have a, I mean, if someone, <laughs> anyone who's worked with me for a long time would know that I have a very, very bad temper. Uh, so, I mean, I, as I get older, I've, I've got it more under control, but um, I just think that it, it at least gives people a real perspective on who I am and how things are going to be. Uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't create a false impression, but I'm sure somewhere down the line, and it might not be for everyone. It depends who your client base is too. It also depends on what you're trying to drive. You know, we have, um, you know, I, Christy drives our truck, so you could count. She's definitely a, an incredible member of our team, but she doesn't work with us daily. 
Um, that's a separate, almost a separate entity and a separate business, uh, the trucking. But uh, the five, there's only five of us, and four of us are all are 50 or older. So I don't know how much work I really need to find. You know, like Lucas drags down the medium age, but so I, for me, I don't need thousands of leads. I don't have 10 crews. I don't. I've, I've run companies where there was 25 people. I don't want that. It's not something I want in my life. So I, it maybe it restricts us absolutely, but it's who I am and. I just got really tired of watching my mouth and my language. And I still try, I mean, my kids both follow our, our, my account. So I try to be reasonable, but sometimes stuff slips out or just having a bad day or yeah. No. So that's my take on it. That, that prompts many questions uh, from my own head here. So uh, beginning with that, that, uh, that truck that you bought, what what prompted that decision to buy to purchase that truck? Was it um, you know you you wanted that? Uh, I'll just ask you right open. Yeah, what prompted that decision? The truck means a lot to me. It's um, it's sort of a I know, I know it's a I know it's a dump truck, but it, it to me it means a lot. It uh, you know one of the things we do is uh, we have a big client. Everyone knows that who follows us. We have one big client with a lot of work for. And uh, when you do a lot of work for a big client, you have to look at holes in their business and opportunities you could drive forward in their business. And uh, that big client that we work for, Sightscape, uh, Joseph, um, who will probably be happy I mentioned him. <laughs> He's such a good person. Uh, um, you know, he his business is not that he doesn't have any big trucks. He's, his business is very, it's a very different and diverse business model from a normal landscaping company. So we, um, you know, we recognize that uh, maybe that was somewhere we could help his business. And uh, so we float a lot of his equipment. Uh, if they need on-time deliveries, because obviously whenever you call a supplier, you're kind of at the whim of the supplier. They've, they call us for on-time deliveries. Uh, where before we buy any piece of equipment, um, we look at not how we're going to pay for it. We look at how our clients are going to pay for it, which is sort of a different way, I think, than most people look at it. So when, before we bought that dump truck, we did a lot, I did a lot of like um, thinking, okay, how are we going to, how are our clients going to pay for this truck so that we can pay for it? Um, and, you know, we obviously had a big opportunity with, um, with Joseph. Uh, and then we, uh, we have I've dealt with Arns for a long time. Um, and then we obviously promoted the truck and the trucking. We've had a lot of people call us from Instagram. We probably get a lot of leads. We get a lot of leads for the truck from Instagram. Um, what really prompted the purchase was uh, Christy was, um, first of all, there was the opportunity. I felt like there's a big opportunity with one of our clients. Uh, and then I felt like the truck would take our business in a direction that we want to go, which is, you know, as we get older, um, we want to do more excavating projects. Uh, so that truck will definitely drive that side of our business. Uh, but one of the biggest factors was that Christy worked with me at Lakewood for a very long time. Um, I know exactly what kind of person she is. And uh, she, through a different set of circumstances, um, didn't have a position, she wasn't working. So, you know, we we took advantage of a couple opportunities when we bought that truck. Um, Christy was looking for a job and finding the right driver for your truck is the number one, number one thing. Um, and we had an opportunity to maybe grow our business with one of our biggest clients where we were already doing a lot of work for. Uh, it also, um, I had a friend who had a dump truck and a trailer that passed away. And I just always thought that he was uh, a baller. 
and it, it was so brave to like buy this truck and his trucking is totally different than um than landscaping it's a different world uh you don't know what your truck might be doing 24 hours ahead of time with that investment it's landscaping you build the schedule you go trucking is totally different like we, we are booking that truck six hours before it goes out the next morning it's it's just the way trucking is so it's a it's a very active i find it to be stimulating i just i just always thought that um you know someone who owns a truck like that was a big time and i've always wanted one uh we had the right driver we had a great client we i felt like we could build other clientele up which we have uh and it's a diverse revenue stream for us that has nothing to do with the landscaping side generally the truck does haul for us and work for us periodically but i would say probably that's 10 percent of the truck's business and then um the truck hauls uh for other people about 90 percent of the time but it's definitely a different revenue stream for us and it's kind of a direction we you know as we get older i love hardscaping but i also understand the graphically understand the devastation it can do to your body so um uh, but that's sort of how the truck came about it was uh, opportunity it knocks on the door it was it, getting that truck on the road was one of the hardest things i've ever done in my life it was just astronomically hard and the whole time i was working on it and doing it i was like putting that deal together to get that thing on the road uh it just the whole time i was doing it, i was like hard things made money just remember that and i just kept driving myself forward based on that thought and uh and the truck has has done well for us it's been a good an amazing addition to i think it also lets people see our company in a different light and uh it gives it opens up a lot of opportunities for us to do other things what was hard about getting it on the road was it had has uh, to do with... pick, pick something finding a truck uh you know buying a triaxle dump truck uh we wanted a spiff compliant truck because you know they're going to reduce the tear on the drop trucks in ontario um, so we needed a spiff compliant truck finding a truck it's not like buying a car there's not ten thousand of them on a lot uh, you know, when we were looking for that truck, there was, you know, five trucks for sale in Ontario that we were maybe considering. Um, and then uh, that truck has been a good match for us. Uh, but that's one of the difficulties is finding the right truck. Um, you know, getting insurance on the truck in Ontario was totally insane. Um, getting it licensed. You know, I, I mean, I've been around trucks for a long time. Obviously, uh, you know, some of the other businesses I've been in had big trucks, but um, you know, making sure your CBOR is covered, making sure that you have all your paperwork. Trucking paperwork is another level of insanity. Anyone that has a, a even a pickup truck now has a crazy amount of paperwork. Um, it just, it was a difficult getting, I mean, the truck and trailer themselves, I'm not scared to say that, you know, we paid $120,000 for that truck and trailer. Um, they're not cheap, a brand new one's $240,000. So, uh, you know, that truck and trailer is a big investment. Uh, it's a lot of money tied up. It was, uh, and to tie up that much money in something you hope is going to work uh, is scary. So it was just, it was a hard thing to do, but we did it. I'm so happy we did. Um, I think it has definitely opened up opportunities, but that's really just the paperwork part of it is a crazy grind. Um, you know, it was a, now that it's on the road and it's there, uh, you know, we can look at it and say, okay, it was all worth it. But at the time we were also trying to like do a million other things. So it just, it was a hard go, but that's sort of like the trucking paperwork and making sure all your T's are crossed and I's are dotted is a difficult thing for anyone that's thinking we're putting a big truck on the road. There's also a whole different set of laws and, you know, our mechanics don't deal with air brakes and 
the first time it broke down, we didn't, we, we quite honestly had no idea what to do when it broke down at the side of the road, it blew the steering box out of it. Um, you know, we found a mobile mechanic, they came, they fixed it. We, now we have a whole bunch of policies in place for anything that happens. We have a, a mechanic that we deal with regularly. We have a shop we deal with regularly. It just, even we just got our float certified and like normally no one, it's really hard to find someone that'll cert a float that's on air. So it just, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's a, it's a great adventure, I think for us, but it, it was hard. And then getting into, uh, so you're on site and are you fielding calls from landscaping clients and also fielding calls from people wanting to book the truck? Uh, yep. I'm fielding calls and texts from both DMs. Um, landscaping clients, honestly, I feel like we've moved to a spot where Kelly and Nancy handle the landscaping clients. I do the consultation. I do the quoting. Uh, I would meet them to close if I felt like we needed to, you know, I felt like that was some, I'm, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time practicing closing, um, building rapport with people. So uh, I feel like that's something I would do too. But I mean, I, I think that um, I definitely don't feel as many calls from clients. I have felt, felt a lot of calls from clients this year because of the, 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 you know, infamous slab and paver shortage of 2020, because it's kind of screwed up people's schedules. And I think that sometimes, you know, as much as people don't want to um, blame the contractor, you're just the face of the shortage, you know, kind of. It, so I have fielded some calls. I do field most of the calls to book the truck. Um, Christy uh, deals with a lot of that too. If people text her directly now and ask her her availability, she knows her schedule, usually a loosely based schedule a week ahead of time. So she takes calls and does, we stock a lot of uh, local landscapers yards. Um, we can be very competitive on pricing pulling from the pit. So um, we stock people's yards. Um, there's a few guys that have yards we stock. Uh, we stock a couple people's salt domes. Well, we started doing that. That's a new, new kind of a new venture, the whole salt venture. But, um, you know, Christy will take calls too and, and book the truck herself. She knows what she has to do. She knows where she has to go. She's a very independent person. So You'd have to be. She drives around alone most of the time. Uh, but yeah, so she feel I do feel a lot of that stuff and we do talk about it, but I do a lot of it sort of on the drive home or on the drive to the site or at lunch or break. Um, I very rarely eat my whole lunch because I'm usually trying to do something. But um, I try to, that, so I, we have diversified that as the business has grown a bit because obviously um, if everything, if I am the edge, the end of the funnel for every single thing we do, the business can't grow. Um, you know, that's how I sort of look at it. If everyone's doing all this stuff, but the funnel still ends up at me, uh, the business can't grow. We have to diversify all the different things we need to do because otherwise everyone is just waiting around for me to make every decision and do everything, which uh, will never let you grow. If you push your funnel through you for everything, uh, you're, you're never going to get very big. And a question coming in about the truck from Mark. Tochia Landscape. I hope I uh, pronounced that correctly. M-A-R-T-O-C-C-I-A. They asked, uh, they're curious on your thoughts on not putting your contact info on the trucks, equipment, uniforms, etc. He likes the aesthetic. Um, just wondering, where are the, uh, where are the, the contact information? Uh, so we don't, one of the, you know, we don't have, equipment is um, stickered. But it's all stickered um, to the color that the sticker is on. So if you have a white paver king sticker, it goes on white paint. Uh, the only sticker that's off color is there's a silver sticker on the white truck because the CVOR number is required 
by law to be visible. Um, and so that is that on the side of the truck, there is the sticker on the back of it. Um, I don't want to, you know, when we subcontract a lot of work, um, it's one of our big revenue streams is subcontracting. So, um, you know, I try to be respectful to the people we're subcontracting off. There's multiple different clients. Uh, our equipment shows up. It doesn't look like um, it isn't the client we're working for as equipment. Um, we don't ever entertain an idea that we don't work We don't work for that client. We just come in, we do the work, we perform it and we leave. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons is that probably our, our largest revenue stream is through subcontracting. So I don't, you know, we don't need to advertise that that much. Um, I also, I mean, this is just a personal opinion. I don't particularly like the leads that get generated by having your phone number on the side of your trailer or truck or anything. I just, I find those to be, in my experience, they tend to be leads where, you know, it's, you're probably going to bid against other people. Um, we make it as hard for, and I know this is the opposite of what everyone else is doing, but uh, that's just how I usually roll. We make it hard for people to find us and get a hold of us um, because I feel like those leads are better. That being said, like I said, again, we're not running five crews, so I don't need to find 100, 100 jobs. I need to find 10 good jobs for the season. So, um, And we have people who are incredibly kind to us, like uh, Joseph from Sightscape and Chris from Humber Valley um, that you know will keep us busy in a pinch if I make a call. So, and we have like, oh, that's just two, but we have lots of other clients that will call us and help us, um, you know, if we were looking for work, which hasn't happened yet, it's been a good market this year. I think everyone sort of had that good market. So, but yeah, we, we don't make it easy for people to find us. I just, I don't need, I mean, one of the hardest lessons I ever learned was we used to do one home show every year, a long time ago, and we would generate a lot of leads from it. And we would, we would go out and we would sell from a home show, which I'm sure lots of people did. And then one year we had this brilliant idea that let's do a second home show that's a good idea. And so we did the second home show. And what happened was we generated like, I don't know, 300 leads from the two home shows. And the work that I really wanted, the stuff that was really good, that was really important to me, it ended up not getting my full focus and attention because I was too busy showing up to price someone sodding their front lawn, which I have no interest and in, nothing against people who saw front lawns. It's just not what our business was set up for. And our overhead couldn't justify going to that job. I think that I just learned back then that having too many leads is actually worse than not having enough because if you don't have enough leads you can grind out and pay really close attention and do an incredible sales job to close the few leads you have whereas if you have way too many you're just going to end up pissing off people and getting work you never wanted so where where are the most of your leads coming from at this moment are you mostly word of mouth with the pandemic uh we didn't know how things were going to go we did build a website on worksites.net for anyone who's ever if someone's looking to build a, a great website for the great company. I've been working with them for like 10 years. Uh, worksites. So we built a worksites.net website. Uh, we do generate quite a few leads from it. Um, I started a Google thing. I, I mean, that's, I would say that's where the majority of our, um, we get leads from Nancy. Um, I, I get leads from a lot of people calling who are sort of swamped and say, hey, could this, is this something you could do? Other contractors, I spend a lot of time networking with other contractors um, in our area. Um, so I get leads from them. Uh, we don't need a ton of, like that's the one thing I would say is we don't need a ton of leads. So those, those avenues sort of fill our funnel. Um, and I would rather, you know, like I think the last year that we ran Lake Ridge Residential, we bid 12 jobs, got 10 of them. And those 10 jobs filled the million dollars we needed to do with the residential division. 
So that's, I mean, I, I'm very much more of a quality over quantity person. So, um, you know, I, and I would rather spend time on work that I really want to do with people I really want to do the work for. I've, I've showed up to jobs with Nancy. We've walked with, around with a client and I've said, yeah, you know what? This isn't, you're not the right person for us. It's been good. We'll see you later. And we just left multiple times because I don't, I, I don't work for people I don't like. I don't work for people. I just, I learned a long time ago. There's no profit in that. So don't do it. It just, you know, if someone, if you have a bad first interaction with someone, cut it short, cut your losses, get out and move on. Uh, you know, that's just my advice. Like you just can't. So, I mean, we don't need a lot of leads. That's getting back to the original question is, you know, we get some leads from the website. We get some leads from um, social media, I guess. We get some leads from other contractors and we get leads from designers. We did, we did some job. We did some work with Joanne Shaw this year. Um, another great local designer. We do work with Nancy. Um, and then uh, honestly, you know, we do probably 60% of our work is subcontract work, either contractual or hourly. So, um, you know, I'm always looking for opportunities with that too. I don't particularly love um, the whole, at one time I loved the going out and the rush of meeting people and getting those sales. Uh, my daughter and my son both play sports. I want to get to their sports. I don't want to be at people's houses at eight o'clock at night. If someone else wants to do all the, the, the poor, even I, you know, my first love is always commercial work. If someone else wants to do all the background, um, I'm happy to, you know, essentially what happens is, I'm working for are my rates a little bit less when we're working, you know, by the hour on a big, huge commercial job than they would be if I had to do all the background, find that work, close that work and do all the infrastructure stuff. Absolutely. Our rates are a little bit less. I'm happy to give on that to be home at, you know, six o'clock and be able to take the kids where they need to go. Changing this tone a little bit here. We've got a question from Pear Tree Property Services. Pear Tree underscore property underscore services. And Paper King, he doesn't want to know how to hardscape. He wants to know how to manscape. So, you know, special tools needed, maybe we already use different styles. Um, you know, maybe there's a style that's in fashion right now and none of us are aware of it. Uh, can Paper King enlighten us on this subject? Um, uh, so I would say that the number one tool that I use for manscaping and I've had it for uh, 10 years now, maybe more. I was just actually using it. I was like, wow, I've had this thing a long time. Is definitely a nose hair trimmer. Uh, you know, if you're going to manscape, you got to put out, get the nose hair trimmer. Do not, I know people, you know, nose hair is something people don't want to talk about. They don't want to acknowledge it. It just creeps out. You can't see it. We shoving scissors up there. Don't pull that stuff. Get out, get yourself a solid nose hair trimmer. Um, you will never regret that purchase. That is definitely uh, something that we use. I also have a very reliable set of uh, dog clippers that I shave my head with. So, you know, dog clippers and a nose hair trimmer, and that is really the keys to manscaping as far as I'm concerned. Also, score yourself a set of yellow glasses. I always score yourself a set of yellow sunglasses. That's another thing I can't recommend um, more. So what is it about, actually, that one of those questions came up. We already asked that person's question. I forget who it was. But they also asked about your uh, your amber sunglasses. And uh, also, uh, I'll ask your chain that we always see. What is the story behind these two things that we often see you with? Uh, so <laughs> the, the amber glasses is an interesting. Uh, I find uh, human behavior super interesting. Interesting. And I think that amber and yellow sunglasses definitely have a reputation through Hollywood and the movies of being 
um, people who are off balance wear the yellow sunglasses. Um, you know, one of my favorite movies is Big Lebowski. In that movie, uh, the John Goodman character is always wearing these yellow sunglasses and obviously off balance. And so that's sort of kind of where it all came from. But I also, I also like the fact that when you, if you were to wear yellow sunglasses somewhere, you would immediately notice a completely different way that people treat you. Um, you know, you get a lot better service. People are a lot more polite because I find that yellow, yellow sunglasses are the international sign of crazy. Um, I think they, you know, off balance. So uh, that's, I like them. I actually, I find they clean up my vision a lot. I wear them a lot. Um, they will, the first day you truly commit to yellow sunglasses, they'll probably give you a driving skull ache because things are so bright. But uh, that's the sort of the story behind the yellow glasses was it was sort of like a thing that I started wearing them on job sites. I felt like if you go into a large commercial job site meeting and oftentimes you need things to happen so that you're, project can move forward if you're in there with a set of yellow sunglasses and a bad attitude you can move a lot of stuff forward on a job site um, the chain uh, i've had it for actually my daughter just asked paisley just has asked me about this i've had this chain for at least 25 or 30 years i've had it repaired a bunch of times it just it's just part of who i am i think i don't even remember that it's there most of the time i've always worn it um, I just, I started off wearing thin chains and then I liked the feeling of having the weight around my neck. Um, so that's just, I always wear it. It's just part of, I guess, who I am. Um, it was part of me long before there was ever uh, Instagram or Facebook or I've been wearing it since probably the mid nineties. Very interesting. And we've got a question from JRC Landscaping, JRC Land on Instagram. And he asks, have you ever made an employee walk back from Peterborough? Uh, <laughs> so Justin and I have a long history. He's a local guy. He's a great person and he'll get upset with me for, he wants to always be a badass, but he is one of the best people I know. So he'll get upset with me saying that. But, uh, uh so on a different topic, uh, one of the things I think I've learned, I think Justin's question leads to a lot of things. Did that happen? Um, probably I would say, um, I've done a crazy amount of uh, horrible things to people um, in landscaping. Uh, and that would probably be one of them, you know, make someone walk home. I think that when I first took over as a crew leader, um, being very young, uh, managing people very much older than me, uh, I think that, you know, the leadership style that I leaned to and what I learned was um, volatility and making sure people are afraid of you and doing, um, doing things that are not right to people to, keep them uh, under sort of under your thumb and keep them moving forward on projects. Uh, and when you don't have any leadership skills, that's, I think, the default. I often feel horrible that I've probably driven more people out of landscaping as a profession than I've ever brought into it um, because I am, I was, and I try very hard not to anymore. Um, you know, I've changed my leadership style a lot over probably the last 10 years. I've worked really, really hard on temper control, changing my leadership style, managing people in different ways. But uh, J Justin is totally justified in asking that question because he knows me. And uh, I've, there is, a, a, I could tell a hundred stories of things I've done to um, get work done. But over the last 10 years, I've tried to develop a leadership style where now, um, 
I think that the, the market for labor has changed a lot too. I think that you just can't behave like that anymore. I think there was a time when you could, um, you know, lead through volatility and there was no problem, but I think that the labor market's changed, the labor laws have changed, um, people's ability to contact those people has changed and you have to change the times is something I've done. Um, you know, and now I, you know, my theory on leadership is sort of um, when times are really good, you push your people to the front in front of you. Uh, when times are sort of like on par to where you think they should be, you stand in the middle and the people that are doing well, you keep pushing to the front. The people that are behind you, you turn and you, you try to bring them to the front. And when things are really, really bad and things are horrible, that's when you step out in front of your people and you absorb every single shot um, that people give. Uh, and that's sort of my leadership style now. I don't, I can still, and I, I mean, a lot of people I work with now work with me for a long time, so they can tell when I'm getting lit up and I'm probably going to go down a bad path and they'll reel me in. Um, but yeah, no, I probably did that to someone. But to be honest, I don't remember that exact time, but uh, I have done a lot of uh, questionable things. Um, so I have worked hard to change. And now we, we I think we, uh, we, I definitely lead in a different way. I have for quite a while. Um, I really try to lead through growth. One of the things I recognized was that you need to put people in a place to succeed. And when things don't go right, you need to take ownership of it. I've, you know, said for a long time, something goes bad, it's my fault. Doesn't matter, you know, when we had three or four job sites running when I was running Lakeridge, if something goes wrong, that's on me, it's my fault. I didn't put those people in the right position to succeed. I didn't recognize their weakness or I didn't recognize their strength. I didn't put them where they needed to be. So, you know, now if anyone can learn anything from this whole question that uh, Justin posed, um, I would say that making sure that you're putting people every day in a position to succeed is the most important thing you can do uh, running a company or managing crews. Whereas uh, before that was not my case. My case was to just tell someone to go do something without ever analyzing whether or not they could even do it and then get really mad at them and make them walk on to Oshawa. So, you know, that's, I guess that's the answer to my long-winded answer to that question. So getting into employees here a little bit, we did have some questions come in, uh, some general questions about employees, but where have you found your employees and, and, you know, how long do you give your employees that training before you might realize that maybe they're not built for this hardscape life, or maybe this is just not for them. All of our, like all of our current staff uh, came from the past where people that I knew from the past that were looking for a new opportunity um, that were willing to take a risk with us. Cause obviously being a new company, you're, I mean, I, I'm thankful every day that the people that work with us were willing to take that risk on, on us um, because, you know, a new company can go a lot of different ways. I still can. I mean, there's nothing saying that we're solidly based anymore, you know, right now, but uh, you know, I, so all the current people we have are people that we found from the past. Um, I think that, you know, I do, I do do actually do, I have done some speaking engagements on hiring. I actually have a whole thing on it, but I think that, you know, in today's market, one of the things we did was we looked for people that um, would struggle to find employment for any different reason. And then um, we took, that is an opportunity to help these people flourish. And then, um, you know, that once they're flourished with you, you know, some are still going to leave, but a lot will stay and appreciate that you gave them an opportunity or you look past whatever problems or issues they had. Um, you know, even 
Um, you know, Christy drives our, our dump truck. Uh, it's a, you know, it's unfortunately unique that uh, a woman is driving that truck. Um, it shouldn't be that way, but it is unique. Uh, and maybe um, her opportunities at the time when she had no experience were limited. So, you know, when she started with us, I spent a lot of time with, um, with her making sure that she would go down a path to success. Um, and there was a lot of yelling because she would be in the truck and I'd be in the excavator and be screaming at each other. But, uh, you know, I think that we, we definitely worked our way through it. And I mean, I, anyone who's worked with her would tell you what a great driver she is and she just needed the great opportunity. Uh, uh, you know, everyone, I think that everyone that works in this business for a really long period of time, in my opinion, in my time that I've been here, every single person that works in this business for a really, really long period of time is, uh, is generally broken in some way. Um, you know, there's just something that happened to them or it's, you know, I am often inspired by people who took this in school and wanted to do this from the time they were kids, because I think that that's not generally most of the people who are working in this business. Um, I think a lot of people find it through different ways. Uh, you know, I found it through shoveling dirt into bags and finding out that, you know, if I could steadily do something, um, people would would be nice to me. And like maybe the experience I had with the, in school with principals and stuff, I mean, everyone has something that drives them to be here. Um, I mean, some people are inspired and I'm, I'm happy for those people, but I think for a lot of us, it just, it's something that we find. So finding people that, you know, in the end, finding people that, um, that first of all, I think finding people that really need a job and then finding a way to, uh, help them achieve their goals and help them flourish are all things that uh, are really important if you want to find staff um, how to find staff you know i've honestly like there's some funny you know lucas that works with us now we were doing a big job uh, in peterborough walking pavers through an underground tunnel in pails uh, and i just we were hiring we didn't want to burn out our our staff so we were just hiring like 20 people to do it and uh so the one person called me and said hey you know i'm looking for a job and i said great and then at the end of the phone interview i said hey do you have any friends you can bring with you and uh he said yeah i'll bring my buddy i said sure bring him on and uh you know lucas showed up in the yard and uh, he worked hard and he's a very unique person very good and you know he's just someone that we've tried to put in his position of strengths and uh, i feel like he's He'll, you know, he's he's grown and he's gotten to places that he wanted to be and been able to do things he wanted to do. I think that's the same for all our staff. I just, you know, how you find those people is always unique. But I think that I would challenge everyone when you're doing your interviews, hire the candidate that you think is least qualified and, um, you know, look under those rocks for long-term staff and then put them in places to succeed and give them um, opportunities that suit their strengths. and then. Uh, you'll be surprised what happens with people. Question from Connolly Lawn and Garden. Connolly Lawn, boxes are brief for hardscaping. Uh, I've always gone briefs. I'm not a boxer guy. It just it just doesn't suit me. Um, you know, and boys, my personal my I need a home. My boys need a home when I'm hardscaping. I do not uh, I do not like the boxers. I just find it to be like, why am I not just wearing shorts? I don't know. I don't know that I can't, I can't judge the difference between boxes and shorts. And I guess that's just always been an internal life struggle for me. So getting into these last few questions, 
This one's a bit of a serious one. We've had some really good serious questions, but this one is, um, you know, from Cadison Hipple. I hope I got that correctly, but he asks, what is the single hardest event situation or shortcoming you have faced in your business? And what did you do to overcome it? Uh, in the current business, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, one of our current struggles that Kelly and I work on all the time is cash flow. Um, you know, we have a lot of different moving parts. Um, we have a lot of stuff going on. And uh, if it wasn't for Kelly in the office, I think that the business would be a total mess. It's not because of that, but definitely a struggle for us is cash flow. Um, you know, keeping on top of everything. We have a bookkeeper, um, Sean Frere, who works with us. We have Kelly in the office. Uh, making sure all the bills are paid and stuff. I think that um, that's certainly a struggle for this business that we've had, um, which I think that everyone can relate to. We we also do a, sort of a unique, most of the hardscape accounts, I think, are focused on residential, and residential is a little bit different. Uh, we do residential, which is great for cash flow. You kind of do the work, you get paid. Um, Commercial is a bit different. We're often sitting on um, on part of money and being a new company, we are very fiscally responsible. Uh, and we are very careful with how we spend money. Um, and we're very careful with how we uh, manage our overhead. Uh, you know, overhead, I think overhead managing is, the management of your overhead is definitely the number one way that people sync their new businesses. And uh, that's one thing we're extreme. We don't buy anything without uh, analyzing it and figuring out whether or not it's a smart purchase for us. So. And like I said before, figuring out how, how, how are our clients going to pay for this item? Um, but that's definitely been our struggle this way. I think staffing is always, I think that one of the biggest struggles too is that you get, specifically in the spring, you get over, this is a struggle time, not necessarily with this business, but over time in the spring, you get this bombarded, you get like, you know, Mike Tyson versus Larry Holmes sort of in the spring with opportunity. And learning to pick through those opportunities, I often say that uh, you make the most money off the job you don't do. Because the, the move and don't take a job, that opens up the opportunity to do the job you really wanted. Getting jammed up doing work that you never wanted because you weren't, you didn't know how to handle that, um, that's probably one of the biggest hurdles that I think people, I think people need, just need to learn how to judge and how to put it through. That would be um, one of my number one things. Absolutely. So these next two questions, Mike, uh, these are people that you would know very, very well. So I'm going to just pose the question. I want you to try to guess who you think it is that's asking the question. And then we'll uh, get into my final question to close off this interview. So the first question from someone you know really well is they want to know two pros, two cons of employing women. And there has to be a legitimate con in this. So first of all, who is this that's asking this question? And can you think of two pros and two cons of employing women? Gonna guess maybe Hillary from Leaf. I'm not hundred percent sure. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations on this. Uh, there's lots of pros. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the labor, I mean, if you're not looking at hiring women, then you're absolutely cutting yourself out of 50% of the labor market. I think that 
women bring a completely different aspect to your business. I think that they are smart and intelligent and have a different life set of life circumstances that can help you grow and have different. I mean, I have oftentimes have conversations with uh, there's three women that um, are obviously are Christy uh, Kelly in our office, Christy, the truck, our truck driver and Nancy, our designer are women that I deal with almost every day. And I think that their their life experiences definitely are one are, are different than mine. And they might see something in a subtly different way that definitely helps our business. Uh, I think that that's one big pro. Another big pro is I think that there's nothing but goodwill when people find out that your construction company is employing women uh, in terms of clients, um, you know, showing up with a, um, a woman as your landscape designer and having a woman uh, running your office, doing all your kicks, dealing with your, a woman show up driving your big dump truck with a float. I, I just think it amazes people that, um, that aren't used to that. And I think it, the goodwill that you get from it is incredible. Um, I think that those are two big pros. Uh, cons, legitimate cons, is that I think that that's a bit of a bigger struggle for me. Everyone knows that I am very, very uh, pro-woman. I think that, um, you know, a con is, is definitely that there is, a, it definitely could lead to um, times when uh, the women that are working within your business are not treated properly which can definitely lead to volatile confrontations between um, your crew and other people working on job sites, because obviously our crew is very, um, not that I feel like women need to be protected, but I think sometimes they're just not treated well. And I think that that's definitely, I guess you could call that a con is that there's always an upper something to unfortunately in our society go awry. Uh, maybe that's one. And then, I mean, I think that, you know, I think it's ridiculous to say in today's society with uh, you know the amount of machinery we have and stuff, but there could um, maybe just be, I, I, it's so hard, I don't find that many cons with it, but uh, I mean, I guess some, some people would say that um, women in general, uh, maybe not be as strong um, as men. I think that a woman who's chosen this path is more determined, which I think is way better than being strong. I think being determined and smart can lead you down a path where you don't need to be strong. Um, but I think that those are maybe two. But I mean, I, to me, I don't like if you carry three bricks every if you carry three pavers every day steadily, uh, you're just as valuable as the person that carries five to me. Yeah, you because know? when you're bidding your jobs, you're bidding them based on the stock you have and the production rates of those people. So you know, I just I, maybe that's a con. I, not to me. I've struggled with finding a con. I'm a huge promoter of, um, you know, actually I have. I didn't prepare much for this interview, but one thing I did prepare was, I know you always ask people what accounts they should follow and literally all the accounts that I'm gonna give you when you ask me that question are women's accounts because I think that all of us need to listen a lot more to what they're saying um, because that's, they are the future of the business to me. The sausage party is over. Is <laughs> And yeah, that question was really putting you on the spot and putting you on the spot was actually your truck driver. Oh, <laughs> oh Christy. Nice. All right. Sure. All right. And this person, uh, I assume is, is also really close to you as well. And he asks you, when is it that you're going to get a real job and tell him that his father wants to know. So I, I was going to guess that that was my dad that asked that question. My dad, uh, 
and I have a long, long standing history of, uh, you know, he, he, um, he was a bus driver, he worked in the union and, uh, and he has a long standing history of thinking, uh, I mean, this is a long time ago too. This is not him now, but when I was younger, he would, uh, you know, say when he's going to get a real job. And, um, you know, I think that that's something that I has stuck with me for a long time. And I'm sure when he said that he was just, you know, get a job in the union or get a job in the, uh, in an office. I think that, you know, in general, and I, I still think this is still, and this is part of, to me, part of the, the problem with finding staff in landscaping, um, is that in general, the perception of being a landscaper is that your retirement package is a wood box six feet under the ground. Um, you know, there isn't a big, you know, it's a different kind of business. So, uh, you know, I, I can tell you that that's the question that my dad asked me. And uh, I think that, you know, one of the amazing things about social media was that, uh, you know, my dad very active on social media, um, even though he's in his 70s. Uh, and I think that one of the greatest things in my life that social media brought me was that um, he was able to understand more of what we were doing and, and the skill that it took and the dedication and the hours and the work ethic. Um, I think he just had a greater understanding of what we were, what, what we were all doing for a living out here. Um, and I think that he has a greater appreciation and I think that he would never ask me that now and then maybe, uh, but yeah, absolutely. That was one of his questions. Sure. <laughs> as we end this interview, you've already guessed a couple of the questions I want to ask you as we close out. And one is, you know, what, what are, what are those accounts that we should be following that you follow online? Uh, so here's my list of accounts. And I think that these are, uh, you know, I don't know if I got them all, but I, I think that, uh, these are really important. I think that. All of us should be um, watching, listening, and watching to what all these women are saying online because if you know this is their experiences that they're posting, and if you want to employ women in your business, I think that's incredibly valuable. Uh, I think you should follow these accounts and learn about how you can make you know perhaps your company a better place. Um, here's my list. Um, we have uh, Hillary at Leaf Landscaping, uh, Paper Kelly who's uh, my wife and runs our office. Brittany Allman is you know, amazing. Uh, Western Landscape, at Western Landscape, at Christy Barton 10. Make sure you follow her. Uh, at Wonderland 0005, Alice is awesome. Um, you know, at Missy Schuber, who is more of an excavating contractor, but still promoting women in the industry all the time. Uh, at the Operator, at the Crew Collab, and at Kate Builds It. These are all to me accounts that you know if you do anything if you listen to this podcast and you do anything um that is said i think you should go follow those accounts and you should definitely um try to look at bringing more women into your business our business is basically run by women um you know our our whole business is is women um without the women in our business our business would literally probably just still honestly be me and Kaz doing lift and relays at 50 years old <laughs> subcontract <laughs> that would be our business without women so I just I think that um I don't think I think you just you follow those accounts listen to what they're saying maybe even don't agree with all of it but what, listen to what they're saying and then try to build from those experiences they're having because um their experience are vastly different from um what your you know, a male experience is and vastly different from what you might even con conceive is their experience. So 
that's that's my my who to follow. Yeah, and one of the actually probably the only time I've seen you in public. This was years ago. Now you were speaking at a uh, Permacon conference, and you did that uh, that Alan, I believe it is from uh, Hangover Wolfpack speech. Yeah. And Hillary was there as well, speaking about women in construction, and that kind of really, I think, opened a lot of people's eyes. Uh, I think that was, you know, of all the things that I did at Pimcon, I feel like uh, them being brave enough to, as a big corporation, to put her on the stage and let her speak about those things was uh, her being brave enough to do it and them being brave enough to allow her to do it at their biggest event of the year where they're trying to sell product. I think those were, I, I feel like that event really, um, change some perception in the industry definitely and paper king as we wrap this up what i want to close with what is that that thing you know now in your business that you wish you'd known from the very start from when you first started uh okay so i have <laughs> have a few but uh the number one thing i would say that i wish i knew when i first this is like many business you know a long time ago is that you can't shovel your way to a good price you know i still abide by that today uh you cannot shovel your way to a good you can't work harder to make up for a bad price i think that a lot of people when they first start their businesses they price things low and they're like i'll work really hard and it'll be okay and the, the, the fact of the matter is it's not going to be okay um, you cannot work hard enough to get yourself out of a bad price um, so to pay more attention to that that that's my number one um, thing I have a couple more if you want, but that's that's really my number one is you can't shovel your way to a good price. The other the other thing I would say is, and I hear a lot of people on here a lot of people they they always refer to um, they always say my customer, my customer, and uh, I think that you know you need to change your language to my client. Customers buy chocolate bars and they buy Big Macs. Um, clients by landscaping and outdoor living places spaces so um, you know when you talk to right from your supplier right through your whole chain to get your project when you describe people as your client everyone immediately feels like that's more important than when you describe them as your customer so uh, you know change your language um, you can't shovel your way to a good price and change your language from um, you know your customer to your client those are two things that I wish I knew I mean, there's a lot of things I wish I knew. Yeah, I could probably talk for 10 minutes about this topic, but um, you tell me when you want to cut me off on the one thing that I would rather do. You keep going. If you if you have anything uh, else you want to get off your chest. Um, you know, I, I think that um, if you want to generate the most money from a, a landscape outdoor living project, you cannot be selling landscaping or you need to be selling the experience of the install. Um, all this is is a service industry. Anyone can go to any supplier and buy pavers um, or walls or anything. Uh, so you need to sell the experience of the install. Uh, you know, so I, we strive hard. Uh, I have strived very hard in the past to sell the experience, the experience of the people coming, the transit that you're going to see, how your space is gonna develop, how you're going to be actively participating and making sure that this is exactly what you dreamed of. Um, you know, your interaction with our staff is going to be amazing. We're going to have our own bathroom. Outside. Like, I think that, you know, anyone can sell a 300 square foot patio. Only you can sell the experience of dealing with your company. And that once you're, you're the only person 
you have a monopoly on that experience of your company, you can sell jobs for as much as you want because you're the only one that has that experience. And you know, one thing that we've worked on, I've worked on, and Nancy and I have worked on for years is selling an experience, not selling a, a job or a project. It's all about the experience. That's another, you know, life lesson I learned is you have to try to find something that you're selling that only you are selling um, because that means there's no other options. Uh, you know, and you want to eliminate options. Um, so that's sell experience, sell the experience, don't sell the project. Um, another one that I learned a long time ago is uh, never, there's never a bad job. This is up on my wall too. There's never a bad job. There's only a bad price. If you're, if you're currently involved in a project or a, a job that you're like, man, this is a bad job, then you just didn't charge enough to do it. That's, uh, that's another, <laughs> you know, like if you're looking at something and you're like, man, the access sucks here. We're going to be, it's going to be terrible. Though. And then, and then you don't charge enough. That's when you'll be like, man, this is a bad job. But if you charge the right rates and you're, you're bringing back in the right amount of money, then it doesn't matter. You'll never look at yourself and say, this is a bad job. Um, you know, uh, it just, it's what well, the other thing I would say to people is, you know, a lot of people ask me about, um, how to improve their sales. And I think that, uh, you know, for me, I didn't really excel at sales until I mastered building rapport with people immediately. Um, I think that there's not enough people talking about, you know, you make a lot of money in your sales process. Um, you know, I understand we're all contractors and we're building stuff, but a lot of your, your profit margin is dictated by your ability to sell things at a premium. And one of the greatest ways to sell things at a premium is, you know, if it's a multiple bid situation, I mean, I try to avoid those, but if it is, you have to build the best rapport with someone. Someone will pay you more if you, if they just simply liked you better and they trust you more. So, you know, um, practice building rapport, immediate rapport. I, I mean, people say, how would you get good at it? I, what I did was I just, I picked, for about two years, I picked a different coffee shop every morning and I would walk in and buy coffee. And if they didn't, it's the same people there every morning, right? In general, running the cash, like they have a schedule, they have a, and if by the end of the week, that coffee shop didn't know what my order was, I'd order the same thing every day. Then I failed at building rapport with those people. Uh, I did that until they got to know me. Um, you know, I think that building rapport with people is another thing I learned along the way that you got to be great at immediate. So those are my, so I guess my words of advice, things I wish I knew. Um, which, um, but anyway, I, I've had a great time doing this. It was super fun, brother. Mike, it's been a, a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, and well, first off, thanks to everybody that submitted a question. There was too many to, to get to in the first place. We'd be here for hours, especially the questions that I still have for Mike. Uh, this, this could be a, a full day podcast, but uh, to respect uh, your time, we're going to say that's it for now. We're definitely going to have you back in the future. So uh, it, it, it would be great to have you back. And and Mike, thank you for your time. Uh, no problem. I'm always happy to. you got an amazing thing going on here. And I'm always happy to participate uh, any way that you would like. Um, you know, that would be amazing. I am Gonna send, we are going to send Paper King swag to anyone whose uh, question got asked. So if you forward me all their contact info when you put it together, we'll get that stuff out to everyone. I appreciate everyone's support online. It means a lot to me that uh, everyone's out there, that everyone that supports us online. 
And uh, I think the, the easiest way to go about this is if you heard your question on the show today, reach out to us uh, and let us know. Uh, there, there was quite a bit of questions. It was a little bit hard to uh, organize everything in terms of getting the right flow of questions. So if you heard your question, message us, let us know. Uh, I'll shoot yourself some contact inf uh, information so you know that they were on the show. Um, anybody that we didn't get to the question, we'll get to your question in the future when we get Paver King back on the show. And I just want to say, you know, if you aren't following Paver underscore King, on Instagram. Uh, it's one of my favorite channels to, to follow. It's I know a lot of people's favorite channels to follow because uh, Mike, what you're doing over there, it's not necessarily what anyone else is doing. And uh, I see that as a good thing. And it, we talked a little bit before we jumped on this, this interview about what that is. And, um, you know, I, I've heard uh, I've heard Jeff over at Alliance refer to you as like a, a daily show uh, when it comes to this industry. And it's it's kind of interesting to just go on and see. And, and Richard from RCO Door said in his question to see what Paver King is saying today. So thank you for that entertainment. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that everyone enjoyed it. It's a great day for, for all of us at, uh, on our team. And Mike, I'll leave it at that. Do you have anything else you want to leave our audience with as we close out this interview? Uh, I, I hope that everyone's crushing it this year. I know there was a lot of challenges. Uh, I hope that everyone's having a good year and everyone's going to come out on the right side and uh, everyone will be around in the spring. You know, I think it's it's been a challenging season for everyone. I think that, you know, we're experiencing being a, we're honestly been experiencing a bit of burnout lately, uh, all of us on our team. Uh, I hope that everyone uh, sees it through to the end of the season and uh, everyone stays safe and uh, and stays um, mentally healthy and is leaning on the right people um, if they're struggling because uh, you know I think that our team it's been a really long stressful season um, and uh, I hope everyone's on the right side uh, of their businesses in the spring when we all come out of it. 